Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I am pleased to be joined today by Reverend Dr. Chris Davies. Hello. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for your time. Uh, we have to be a little concise today because Chris has a hard out, but we're looking forward to talking to her. Um, I am, at least. So I hope uh, she's a blessing to all our listeners here. Uh, Reverend Dr. Chris Davies is a Connecticut native and a Cleveland transplant and a watering Irish rover at heart. She loves the church deeply and is committed to finding ways to continue to bring the gospel into the world. Chris grew up in the United Church of Christ and was baptized and ordained within the same local congregation in Connecticut. Reverend Dr. Davies loves church, church as it was, church as it is, and church as we know it can be, with the help of God and the people willing to live into their gospel call. She has led the dreaming and visioning of the United Church of Christ through our strategic planning and is witnessing that come to be at national conference and local levels. She lives in Cleveland, Ohio, where she serves as team leader for faith, education, innovation, and formation at the national setting of the United Church of Christ, affectionately called uh, Faith Info. The team's purpose is to equip congregations with a proclamation of the liberating love of the gospel. So... Uh, somehow I got that all out relatively smoothly. I know. <laughs> uh, Chris, what else would you like our listeners to know about yourself? Mm, that's such an interesting question um, because it's so open-ended. None of us are the culmination of our bio statements and none of us are only what we do. Um, my, uh, I live in Cleveland in a community um, of women and run an urban farm. Uh, one of my projects along the way has been the queer clergy trading cards, um, which was, yeah, yeah. um, that was fun. That was fun. That probably hit, uh, um, it's kind of sleeping right now. Um, but still present in the digital atmospheres. Um, mm -hmm. I'm kind of an innovator and entrepreneur, um, in some ways, um, all along the way and I'm like constantly trying to figure out what does my faith mean for me and for people in you know my age cohort and younger because that's not often where our institutional um focus or reflection is so you know yeah, wandering yeah. all along the way um and committed to the ongoing work of spirit in the midst of that well, I don't know if you remember this, Chris, but uh, Chris and I actually had the opportunity to meet several years back. Uh, I got to give her a ride to the airport. I know. So back I was in, in the before when I was traveling all over. <laughs> in the before. Yeah. I enjoyed talking to her then. I was, you know, impressed to hear about what she was doing. And, you know, so I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing kind of what you're continuing to do. Um, talk a little bit about your faith journey, what that's looked like. So I grew up in the United Church of Christ. I um, 
And that's been, you know, really interesting because I grew up with the highest ideals of the church at the time. Um, and I feel mm-hmm. like uh, there was a balance because I also love Jesus. So would, was doing like all the youth group stuff I could get my hands on in the UCC, um, but mm-hmm. also was involved in this like conservative Christian choir because it was like kids who loved Jesus. Yeah. And so we traveled all around the yeah. state and like sung at different churches, no matter what denominations. And I really learned, I think, an appreciation for like evangelical worship and even evangelical expressions. Um, but it was yeah. dissonant from the progressive faith that I was taught and like went to church each Sunday for in the United Church of Christ because, you know, at, at that point I was, um, I hadn't, I hadn't come out. Right. And I was hearing mm-hmm. all of these messages of, you know, what, how binary faith had to be from the conservative Christian choir. Mm-hmm. And then hearing yeah. all these messages about how faith was expansive and the questions drive the way and God is still speaking from the UCC church mm-hmm. I grew up in. Um, so when I did come out, I got kicked out of the choir, um, but found home uh, as well as a wider expression of language that I had, ac- that I still mm-hmm. have access to because of the experience of being in um, that little choir. <laughs> so, Uh, With that in mind, I often reflect back on what theologian Horace Bushnell said uh, in conversation Mm -hmm. with the Great Awakenings of Hartford, Connecticut, that for some it is possible to never not be Christian. Um, And I really feel that inside me that like, you know, the Christian faith is part of part of the legacy handed to me by those who have come before, you know, in my family, in my uh, ancestry, um, and Mm -hmm. in my faith tradition, and is mine in that way. Um, So I, you know, I really connect with that. I don't necessarily have like the... um, the illumination moments of now is the time, but just kind of the gentle nudging of community, congregation, and, um, you know, the commitment to the gospel that has brought brought me from then to now. That's awesome. Talk about a spiritual practice that's been meaningful to you or you might recommend to others. Um, just any spiritual practice, Lord? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it feels so scripted. <laughs> <laughs> well, just wait, just wait. I'm saving that for later. <laughs> The unscripted parts. The, um, you know, I don't know. I feel like this past calendar year, everything changed, right? Mm-hmm. So the spiritual practices that were meaningful to me um, in the before have shifted. Not, not become less meaningful, but just shifted, you know. Practices of gratitude, practices mm. of, like lamentation yeah you know the simple act of allowing myself to feel the grief that is all around us and within Mm -hmm. us as a result of this past year allowing myself to really feel awareness of imbalance of power and systems of oppression and how our how our world Mm -hmm. and how I have contributed to that world, Mm -hmm. even without knowing continues to leave people uh, more and multiply oppressed. Um, So in the feeling of that becomes the practice of acting for me. Mm -hmm. So the spiritual practice of being involved in anti-racism work has been essential. The spiritual practice of being intentional Mm -hmm. about my life and my faith and values aligning has been essential Mm -hmm. to me. 
um, the spiritual practice of showing up at the meetings when I'm not feeling so great, but still want to be there because I know that the, the work must continue for the sake of my great, 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 great granddaughters mm-hmm. has become essential to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I love what you're saying about, um, I mean, I think just the aspect of like feeling, um, <clears throat> taking time to notice what's I mean, we're, we're talking a little bit about that and I'm not going to share on air, but we're talking a little bit about that, uh, pre-recording just about how noticing what's going on within our bodies and, and, um, you know, I think so much of life, we're kind of preconditioned to not feel kind of numb it all out. But let's be careful about the we, right? Oh, go ahead. Tell me more about that. When I say we, what I mean is... Mm -hmm my experience of having been socialized as a white woman. Mm -hmm. I think that certain communities are, are have as a result of the layers of the layers of the systems have a different experience, you know? So, you know, lately I've been really, really careful with when I say we, who do I mean? I can't say we have so much privilege without Mm -hmm. recognizing that in that we, I'm assuming I'm talking to people like me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Are you a worship leader who is going through a faith shift while still trying to produce 52 services a year? Are you a lead pastor who is dealing with high turnover on your creative team? Torn Curtain Arts exists to strengthen the creative soul of the local church by providing coaching, creative consulting, and interim worship leaders from our team with 20 years experience in the trenches of ministry. We help leaders get off the ministry treadmill of chasing Sunday after Sunday. Learn more about how we can help you and your team by visiting torncurtainarts.org. Hey, this is Lauren Richmond, and for those of you who don't know, I actually live in the Denver metro area, and I'm excited to say that the next Festival of Homiletics the 30th annual Festival of Homiletics will be happening here in my own community in the Denver metro area, Denver, Colorado, May 16th through the 20th, 2022. So I know that's a long ways away, uh, but registration opens November 1st of 2021. And I just wanna encourage you to plan ahead and mark your calendars for that date. I attended the last time that the Festival of Homiletics was here in Denver and it was a great time. Really enjoyed being able to connect with other pastors and listen to some great preaching and teaching. So again, it's May 16th to the 20th in 2022. Denver is a great city. Trust me on this. There's lots of shops and places to gather outside to connect with friends over a meal or a drink. We've got all kinds of craft breweries going on. So check it out. Plan ahead. Registration opens November 1st, and that's the 30th annual Festival of Homiletics in Denver, Colorado, May 16th through the 20th, 2022. So check it out, encourage you to plan ahead, and I hope to see you there. Well, let's talk about uh, your work with the Faith Info. <clears throat> so I think from a broader for, I guess first we should just kind of talk on a 30,000-foot view, tell our listeners like what Faith Info is about, and then uh, kind of talk about how you got interested. 
Well, let's talk. Start with that. Talk about what faithful faith info is and what it does. Faith info is faith education, innovation, and formation in the United Church of Christ. And uh, faith mm-hmm. info is for the local church. In the same way that we have a team at at the United Church of Christ National focused on the health, the care, the authorization support uh, for ministers, faith info mm-hmm. is that for churches. So. Um, there's a couple of different ways in which this plays out. The first is that I, I see our team as the entry point into any question. <laughs> if you are wondering who to call it national, you can start with <laughs> us. Uh, be, you know, a local church person can start with us and we'll make sure you get to where you need to be or get connected to the resources that you're trying to find or suggest other mm-hmm. ones. Um, we have within us a, a segment a group of folks I say group of folks. It's like these are all these subgroups on our team, right? <laughs> but like yeah, we think sure. about church planting, we think about how worship functions, we think about mm-hmm. um, how granting towards congregations function, we think about specifically mm-hmm. focus on um, congregations of color and ethnic identified congregations and support for them mm-hmm. in the uh, in the work that they often have to do translating some of that we question, right? Like who is the we? Sure. If we're putting resources yeah. out, who is it oriented towards and what what needs to shift for it to work in particular contexts? Um, and we have a focus on youth and young adults. Um, just going through making sure I got everybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> additionally, Talk I, would, about... I would say the most... Uh, exciting thing that we're working on right now um, that really showcases all of our various projects and people is in a webinar series, Mm -hmm. a digital program we're offering twice a week called Tuesdays for Nurture and Thursdays for the Soul. I'll make sure to send you that link so you can include it in your show notes. Um, But that's uh, ongoing. Each one of them is is an hour long. Sometimes the specials are a little longer. An hour long and can be used as a congregational resource to to bring out conversation, to to learn, to be uh, you know, to have something to be in conversation about that's external inviting a relevant real and timely um assessment resource or um faith-based activism approach to what's Mm -hmm. going on now sure awesome uh i want to hear about it now you might need to let's see if Previously, there was a, a kind of these two separate kind of things. There was like what was called CASA or CASA. I don't know how you said it. And then, and that's kind of in- integrated into this faith info thing. What was the, the CASA about? CASA. Um, CASA. You know, I'm trying to think, is it really helpful to go into the history of this team right now? <laughs> like, I can tell you all about what it was, but I have a sense that there's more exciting things that we probably have to connect on. So CASA held... Um, I will give you a quick synopsis, but CASA sure, has congregational sure. assessment, support, and advancement. All of those so things. Is that are... still part of it? Yes. Now? Yes. Okay. Okay. That was what I was curious about. Well, I'm curious, like, what got you into this? What made you passionate about wanting to be in this kind of work? Um, I, you know, I really love, I love the United Church of Christ, and I want us to be better. Mm. <laughs> I mean that's that's that is the simplest way to say it. Um, when mm-hmm. I when I first applied uh, for a position at National, I think I had a lot of naivete about what that meant. Um, yeah. And you know I applied because I was in the middle of planting a church and having a really hard time finding resources, support, connection, other people, mm-hmm. anything, um, and was just like, okay, if I can't find it, then I'll make it. Um, and 
you know, of course, as soon as, as soon as I started, I was like, oh, here, here are the, here are the pathways that I can help make wider. Um, they were there. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how to find them. So that is what I focused on. So can I ask then, and this is going a little bit off track, but can I ask like, what were some of the things that you were looking for as a church planter that you weren't getting then and that you've kind of helped since try to create? Um, I think the biggest piece that I would point to is how the grants functioned. Um, okay. The, what I'm proud of over the five years that I've been at national is a widening of awareness of the grants we had for congregational, mm -hmm. um, resourcing as well as, uh, a clear focus in equity on how those, how oh. those grants were distributed and, towards whom and who was making the decisions. So mm. a few years back, I gathered a team of people from around the United Church of Christ to help vision just how do we do this mm -hmm. better, really scrap everything, start again. Um, mm -hmm. And that team held conference staff and national staff and church planters and um, key stakeholders all throughout who contributed into this and a lot more information about that process is actually at ucc.org slash what's new and that also includes a report about some of the trends that we saw through the applications um, which were fascinating right like we we noticed mm -hmm. this was based on research in 2017-ish um, based on research. And what we learned is that about 60% of the new churches who self-identify as doing something new had a clear focus on LGBTQ or uh, queer issues. Um, mm. They had a clear mm -hmm. focus on welcome. About 55% yeah. had um, an explicit naming of this is a place for you who have been traumatized or wounded by religion. And then about 20% or so had a clear interfaith focus to them. We are a church based in the United Church of Christ, but we have worshipers who are all, from all over, people who are in our community mm. from all over, from all sorts of faith or lack thereof backgrounds who can who want to maintain that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I'm curious, obviously... The, as we're recording this, it's the beginning of February. COVID is still very much a part of the broader context. And I, I'm curious, like, what are the ways that you're trying to help churches right now during COVID? What are, like, the biggest challenges, struggles that churches are facing? Talk more about that if you can. Sure. Um, the ways in which I and National as a whole have showed up have been, um, yeah, National United Church of Christ have been a couple. The first is we've had uh COVID relief grants that ran all throughout mm. last year in a first cycle. Yeah. Um, we're looking at how do we do something for 2021 in a similar way, but I don't have more information about that at this point. The second is that, sure. you know, we shifted to uh, my team, Faith, Aware, Faith Info, shifted to content development um, as one of our focuses. So you can see that through the webinars oh, that you're yeah. going to find a link yeah. to. You're going to see that through <laughs> some of the pieces that we've helped develop for local churches to use in their digital worships. You know, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. to come up with a different program every single Sunday and yeah. it's terribly yeah. exhausting for pastors who are often isolated like in yep. the middle of it 
uh, trying to do it all by themselves with support in their congregations that sometimes wanes. Um, Right. So, you know, when one is in a position where one is ultimately held responsible for a product on Sunday that used to take a good, you know, seven (laughs) or so hours to write a sermon. Yeah. And now is 25 hours of digital editing. um, Yeah. There is a level of exhaustion that cannot be cannot be overemphasized um, for yeah. uh, local pastors and communities in the midst of all of that. Um, I really appreciate the research that's been done by the Wisconsin Council of Churches um, and the ecumenical mm-hmm. work that's been happening there under Carrie Parker's leadership um, because it points to a lot of the uh, impacts in a concrete way because often a pastor might feel like they are the only one feeling this level of exhaustion, isolation, and just despair when actually yeah. it's most of us <laughs> anyone yeah. and it could be said anyone in a helping profession throughout the course yeah. of what has yeah. been a year that continues to require more and more labor emotional labor spiritual labor um and and all of that from all of us you know we're getting to the point where we yeah. got through christmas and then it was just like oh you know I don't know if you get to swear in your podcast, Lauren, but I was about you to. You can. You like, can. <laughs> oh, shit. Like, we got here, and now there's an insurrection. And now there's this. Yeah. Like, we're having an adaptation fatigue. We're having compassion fatigue. We're having yep. just general fatigue yep. about how do we continue to show up in an authentic and relevant ways for our people. Because ultimately, yeah. this whole experience is collective trauma. We are not yeah. okay. Those of you yeah. listening are probably going, oh, God, I am not okay. Um, and that's <laughs> normal. I think one of the best things yeah. we can do right now is continue to frame this experience as collective trauma and saying, yes, mm-hmm. your anxiety, your depression, your, you know, the ways that you are feeling are an accurate reflection of the way the world is right now. And we can learn a lot for pe- from people who have lived uh, alongside those things constantly. So what are the resources? Yeah. What's the mental health support? What's the community support we can develop? How are we getting people in conversations with each other and with the resources and support that is out there um, in service to our ongoing um, mental health, our, our ongoing physical health, our ongoing love of neighbor, one might even say, mm-hmm. uh, to the ways that this kind of support has been politicized is disgusting. Um, so. Yeah. Anyway, you said, what are you doing for local churches in the midst of COVID-19? No, I mean, <laughs> like, you named the... so many dynamics there that I think are just spot on. Like, um, like, you know, you mentioned, like, pre- preparation of worship. Like, it's so much easier, I think, to, like, prepare worship as a team when you can, like, be in person and see each other. Uh, you talked about the kind of caregiver exhaustion. Like, I think, I don't remember that. I remember reading statistics sometime this summer that was, like, this... An, a, a, shocking number of pastors had thought about quitting mm-hmm. and then i told that to my wife who's an er nurse and she's like what's she's like what are they dealing with <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah my wife is a uh, nurse too that's funny <laughs> <laughs> so uh and then you, you know talk about the the collective tr- trauma uh of the compounded stress i mean it's mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. and let me be clear what i'm not doing is setting up a hierarchy of ills I don't, yeah, I, yeah. I'm not saying that my, tra- like my trauma, your trauma is mm-hmm. more than anyone else's. What I am saying is that no matter what circumstance we've carried into this, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure we've all had quite enough thank you. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, you've, I guess you've, you've named so much. What, what, I mean, what kind of, I always feel like it's hard to name something hopeful after this, but what, what kind of, what do you see as that you're offering churches as a, as a path forward or, or, or hopefulness going mm-hmm. forward? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think there's a tendency to skip to hope without feeling it. We're, go back to mm-hmm. feelings, right? Like, I think there's mm-hmm. a tendency for us to say that's all well and good, but, you know, when are we going to open our doors again? Yeah. And this is really the hardest part. You know, we see some sort of hope at the end of the tunnel in a vaccine. We see some sort of hope that we're going to be able to enter into a different world at the, after this, um, mm-hmm. et cetera. And we still have to be vigilant, attentive, and really careful with each other, with ourselves, with the world. There's work to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I see a lot of hope in how many people have moved from the feeling into the action, not for their own mm-hmm. sake, but for the sake of the world. I see a lot of hope mm-hmm. in, um, outside of outside of my work at the church, I organized with um Showing up for racial justice, which is a organization that's white-led yeah. in service yeah. to collective um, liberation, um, and in support yeah. of and in followership of Black, Indigenous, and people of color and poor and working-class mm-hmm. people. So I see a lot of hope in how many people have been activated and ready to get into the ongoing work and support mm-hmm. the coalitions and collective movements that are building right now. To me, that's like you know, there's more people than ever ready to plug in. And there are systems, yeah. you know, at least where I am in Northeast Ohio, there are systems to plug them in. Like, we're, we're in relationship, we're held accountable, we're ready to, like, send volunteers to what needs working on. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, is just like, I mean, I, this is fresh off because we had one of these meetings last night. But it was just like, I left that meeting with, like, so much hope, you know, for... That's awesome. And that's, it's connected to faith for me, right? Yeah. 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 I appreciate what you're saying kind of about making space for feeling. Um, From my perspective, culturally, there's this, I think so much of, in my perspective, American culture has been about just skipping over the feelings. And I'll say like culture. Fair enough. Yeah. I think um, there's this kind of uh, back in like the spring or early summer, there's kind of this like, um, like, oh, when we get back, it's going to be like Easter, whatever date, you know, whatever date we get back, it's going to be Easter kind of like that. But there's, there's a lot of folks have said since like, there's gotta be that good Friday whenever it comes. Does that make, you know what I'm trying to say? I think so. Yeah. Just that, like, yeah. I mean, Without the without an awareness of the lows, we do not fully experience the highs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what else? Uh, what else do you think? I'm curious to hear more your thoughts on like how you see, you know, big C, little C church changing, kind of as a result of COVID. Mm, a few. I think there's a few key things ahead. The first is that we will always have. I believe, let me use my language, I believe mm-hmm. that vibrant, relevant churches will always have, at this point going forward, a digital service and an in-person service. Yeah. People got really excited about those living room jamas, coffees, church. That's going to be part <laughs> of it. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I, I think that, um, I think that the, I want to back up to something I meant to say earlier too, is that you sure. know, one of the major challenges that we're having is an intergenerational conversation and a conversation mm-hmm. about access because of digital redlining. Yeah. So yeah. what that means is that the experience that the elders in church are having is very different mm-hmm. from the experience that the, you know, the families with kids who know how to use Zoom or whatever are having. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this contributes to the contributes to the general exhaustion because often the elders mm-hmm. are the decision makers making decision decisions in alignment with their needs, which mm-hmm. makes total sense. But those sure, needs yeah. are not are not always overlapping the needs of the people that the church says it's seeking to serve. Yeah. So one of yeah. the impacts of COVID is that churches have have got to get clear on how to have intergenerational conversations wherein the wisdom of difference is honored. Wherein conversations are clear <laughs> that you can still be 80 something and and intimidated by the computer and able to get in on the phone and be loved. Mm-hmm. And you can still be, you know, multitasking in five different ways with church going on. While you're also mm-hmm. trying to figure out how kids are going to be in school yeah. and still be part of the community. You know, there's such difference in experience that one of our mm-hmm. challenges will be how do we stay in intentional relationship and how do our decision, how does our decision making reflect the kind of church we want to be and the people that we want to serve while still maintaining relationship? Yeah. So tell me, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, can you tell me more about that intergen? intergenerational difference at making space for uh, that kind of conversation? Um, I, I think a really, I mean, it's hard, right? I don't know your audience, mm-hmm. so I can, I can speak to it from my own perspective, which is a, you know, a digital native and a millennial. And, sure. you know, those of you listening, so, you know, then this is really reflective of our complete challenge. Is that yeah. if I talk about, if, you know, if I choose to talk about how I'm noticing that in Facebook groups, you know, wherein at this mm-hmm. point, Facebook, people are leaving Facebook. Right. Like people who are, anyway, all of which to say, I'm witnessing the intergenerational challenge of those of us who have a certain digital native to how the internet functions, how the culture of the internet functions, how the, how each of these mm-hmm. apps are in conversation with each other, all of this you know, access to knowledge as a result of the positionality of the year I was born and the class access I had as a kid mm-hmm. is very different from those folks who joined Facebook relatively late, are now in yeah. groups, and are kind of coming in with an unawareness of the background culture present. Um, and what yeah. we saw over the last year and a half, and this is just a microcosm case study of this, what I'm, what this generate dis intergenerational disconnect Um, and it's really about all levels of power and privilege because what we saw over the past year is that huge facebook groups who didn't have a conversation about race and equity and how it functions in the groups had a complete explosion last year Hmm. so i I see that as a case study (laughs) and i see that as um an invitation to our churches because the same will happen i think that if a church really wants to be uh, as inclusive, as welcoming, as intentionally multiracial, multicultural as possible, then the church has to have a conversation about how power and privilege function inside the church. 
So when you say explosion, is that a positive explosion or negative explosion? Oh, negative. No, no, no. Usually okay. somebody says okay. something stupid and then everybody, I'm, I'm be, that's not a kind way to say that. Usually says somebody okay. says something uninformed, you know, somebody makes yeah. a post, yeah. you know, and then somebody goes like, then it's a conversation of power and privilege wherein two different conversations mm -hmm. are happening, right? Somebody's saying this is yeah. institutional and somebody else says, no, it's interpersonal. So somebody, and this happens yeah. all the time when you're yeah. having conversations yeah. about power and privilege is that there's, there's all sorts of different layers, right? How does it function in me? Mm -hmm. How does it function between us? How does it function when we're all in a group in the institution? How does it function in the system? And what happens mm -hmm. is that if we have a system conversation, um, a defense mechanism for folks who don't, uh, for folks who call ourselves white, is often yeah. to go to the interpersonal. In there is a systemic yeah. problem with racism for um, black people in America. And then it goes into mm -hmm. personal. Well, my uncle's a cop and he's fine. You know, two right, different conversations. Right. But it's a defense okay. mechanism, so we don't have to enter yeah. into it. So I think that churches that will carry forward over the next decade have to have that conversation. And it's going to be hard. And we can't do it yeah. without what I said before of the relationship, right? You know, we stay yeah. in relationship as we have the conversation. And for folks who are not willing to be uncomfortable, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a choice for them, too. And I say that with like awareness of, for me, I believe yeah. that discomfort is where the gospel breaks in. When I am uncomfortable, sure. God has an opportunity to speak with me. Um, mm -hmm. And it's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. Yeah. And it needs to happen. What, how are you coaching or assuming this is part of your, your thing, uh, task, how do you, how do you recommend or how do you advise churches to kind of, engage in those conversations like especially to go against that interpersonal framework as you're talking about to to because so many white people are kind of like you said they're kind of stuck in that interpersonal framework and have trouble seeing the more systemic context well i think there's a couple of places that you can start i mean the first is you have to decide to learn yeah one has to decide that this matters. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it is not okay to say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Mm -hmm. It is not okay to say, well, this person is from a different time. You know, it is no longer that different time. It is a time yeah. where our Christian call is to be in community, to love those who are most and multiply oppressed, and to be in, to, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and as we love God. That is our call. <laughs> that is our faith. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, as faith leaders, I think our job, mine and yours, is mm -hmm. to be in relationship with our people, to carry, to, to, to continue, you know, to find where that, and context is everything, right? It is yeah. a different yeah. conversation every time you're having it yeah. because context is everything. Um, and it's a conversation that needs having. So um, there's all sorts of resources at the United Church of Christ uh, national setting that we've put out to help people have the conversations. Everything from Reverend Dr. Velda Love's Sacred Conversations on Race to the White Privilege Curriculum. There's also mm -hmm. now an abundance of entry points as a result of a collect, uh, communal, I'm thinking beyond the church, right? Because ultimately the church is just a microcosm of the community, yeah. uh, though yeah. we often think we are the only thing there is. Um, <laughs> 
yeah. an abundance of resources of you want to get involved, here's a way. So um, I, I think the showing up for racial justice chapters are really helpful. I mean, I mm-hmm. obviously, <laughs> I think that um, there is probably all sorts of orgs that do diversity, equity, inclusion work or decolonization mm-hmm. work in your communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are people who are already in this work um, and it's our job to find them, right? It's our job to seek them out and be in relationship and um, and see what it is that our our work supports in the vision for all. Because ultimately, when we show up and support for those who are most multiply oppressed, it benefits all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm thinking, you know, because we kind of we kind of jumped into this conversation out of that. You know, how do you see the church changing in the future? This seems to like fit in. I mean, is it fair to say like church in the future is going to have to be into, you know, dealing with racial justice issues and matters of, I mean, it's just like a non-negotiable is what I'm saying. Um, it is a non-negotiable for white churches. Mm. You know, we, uh, as Reverend Dr. Starsky Wilson said uh, just two weeks ago, he's the director of the Children's Defense Fund, we are past the mm-hmm. tipping point. There mm-hmm. are more people of color in the United States who are born than there are white people. And we're continuing to pretend like we're the majority. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, adapt or die. Yes. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, and that contributes to the grief, right? Like yeah. that is the grief is that for those of us who have been able to maintain an illusion of stability for many years, yeah, those illusions have now dissipated. COVID did I some of it... that. And now if we are not in conversation with the reality of where we are, when we are, and with the people around us who are our neighbors, we are not connected. I'm hearing it. Going back to what you've kind of a theme that's been underlying this, the importance of feeling, because, I mean, you know better than I do that for an for an older congregation, like there's going to be a lot of feelings of grief and loss. And if they don't deal with those feelings of grief and loss and say, hey, I feel that things are different, they're not, never going to be able to change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But this, of course, is where our faith comes in. We yeah. have generations of wisdom in mm-hmm. our faith. The church as we know it of the institution full of members functioning after World War II, the Boomer Church. Yeah. That is not the only church. Yeah. But many of us have thought yeah. that that's the only access point. Yeah. There are thousands of years of ways to connect to Jesus behind us. I believe mm-hmm. that there will be thousands of years to connect to faith in front of us. What that means is that we have to continue to be intentional, equitable, and responsible about how we adapt so we hold the core messages of our faith, the tools of resistance, the tools of, um, of like the regenerative ways in which we stay solid in the storm, mm-hmm. right? It, these stories are written. We are contributing to them for the sake of our great, 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 greats. And they're not going to look like they do now. That's yeah. faith. I believe that God will still be, even if I don't experience God, this, I don't, if, if the people coming don't experience God this exact same way I do, I still believe God will be. 
I mean, what is our work if not that? Hmm. Well, what a beautiful kind of hopeful, passionate, you know, Chris, I love the way that, uh, you know, I, I love the way this conversation has kind of just gone. I, you know, I came in kind of thinking it was going to go one way and we've just kind of gone off in a different direction. It's been so wonderful and beautiful. So I appreciate, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing, excuse me, <clears throat> appreciate you sharing your thoughts here for the sake of time. Let's move on to some closing questions. And, uh, I, I tell these folks to take these as seriously or not as you'd like to, um, so if you're Pope for a day, what do you want to do? Ooh, I don't know. I don't really want to be at the top of that kind of a hierarchical system. <laughs> like that's not Fair my enough. goal. <laughs> what I want to do is be a really good follower. I want to, I want to hear the vision of the people and draw from the wisdom of all involved. Um, because ultimately the more, the more people in the conversation, yes, the longer the conversation will take, but the more wisdom will come out of the decision. Um, and you know, there's time for all of that. I think that, um, if I, if I had the power to rearrange our systems, I would, um, infuse a lot more metrics of trust within them. Mm. Yeah. Good. Uh, a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life. Mm. I think it would be kind of cool to be in conversation with St. Bridget in Ireland because that is of oh. my own ancestral roots and mm -hmm. St. Bridget that, you said? St. Bridget yeah well Bridget herself I mean it's kind of like the the way Christianity colonizes is they go into a place and then make a saint of the, the <laughs> local deity um, and you know I think I would like to to learn more of the roots of how this saint came to be and how um, those roots are still present for me awesome uh, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Who did not show up? I think oh. that we have a similar conversation in front of us as the America, as America, as the United States of America, as Germany did. I think that we have a conversation in front of us where a third of the people think one way, a third of the people think another, and a third don't do a thing. We need to hmm. be in relationship with each other, do the healing restoration work that is necessary after apology <laughs> reparation uh and the intentionality of moving forward with relation with with equity at the forefront good uh, what are your hopes for the future of christianity um i hope that we disconnect from nationalism mm, yeah oh that yeah <laughs> There's all sorts that can That's be said there. Many have That's... said that better than I have. And uh, if you're wondering why that makes you feel uncomfortable, that might be worth researching. Yeah. Um, where can give our listeners some resources where they can connect with these, all these resources you've talked about and yourself, if, if you'd like to share that. Um, I'm at this point, not <laughs> I do my best on social media, but I'm not awesome at it. Um, so you can connect with me if you are in the United Church of Christ and you have a work question uh, in that particular way. I can be met at davyc at ucc.org is my email address. Um, I'm also on the Book of Faces and Instagram um, as uh, Jesus Loves Dinos, which is just fun and that's personal. Um, and um, 
You can follow Queer Clergy Trading Cards at facebook.com slash superpowervisibility. Um, and I, um, Lauren will include in the notes for this a whole bunch of links that I've offered as well. Awesome. Awesome. I'll do my best to, I'm still getting, uh, I'm still, I'm still working on developing good show notes, but I'll do my best for our listeners to include those. And I know you have a whole host of resources. So, uh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate the conversation and, and the way it's developed and, uh, I uh, hope this is a blessing to our, our listeners. So, uh, Chris, I always leave folks with a word of peace. So peace be with you. And also with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is produced by Torn Curtain Arts in partnership with Resonate Media. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit futurechristian.com. If you've enjoyed the show and you think it would be valuable for others to hear, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. That really helps more people find us. Thanks again, and go in peace.